Hey everybody, welcome to the Exit Podcast. This is Dr. Bennett. I'm joined here by Clay Martin. Clay is a man who maybe needs no introduction, but I'm going to do it anyway. I, I uh, he's a, he's a, a special ops veteran who's been in lots of lots of dangerous places, done lots of dangerous things. He's written two books, Concrete Jungle and Prairie Fire, about essentially survival and organization under civil unrest conditions in a in an urban and a rural environment. He's also written uh, Wrath of the Wendigo, which I'd like to talk about. I'll just say um, my wife bought me Concrete Jungle and Prairie Fire, and I went and asked my my soft buddies that I have, none of whom are like in our circles on Twitter. So it's not like they were like buddies of Clay's. And to a man, every one of them was like, oh yeah, Clay's the real deal. Read that book. Uh, so, so this is a guy who... Uh, the only way that I can judge, uh, you know, assess expertise is just to go ask a bunch of people. I don't have any personal expertise, but everybody that I've talked to says Clay's the dude. So welcome to the show, Clay. Well, hey, man. Thanks. Glad to be here. And uh, thanks for that introduction, brother. Happy to be here. Awesome. Awesome. I want to jump right into uh, uh, something that you said on Tucker Max's interview uh, about a Japanese kid who won yeah. a sh- competitive uh, a, a shooting competition with, I think you said three years of airsoft experience and like 30 days of live rounds. Yeah, yeah man, this is one of the, uh, it's one of the best, <laughs> least well-known stories, but, uh, but to me, biggest story that there is as far as like training value from these uh, airsoft guns. He didn't win just a, a shooting championship. He won what's called Steel Challenge. And Steel Challenge is a national, I mean, it's actually a worldwide event. They hold it every year. It's the same, it's the same uh, competition. And, uh, man, it's uh, especially it's a fast-paced, quick game. Uh, the stages have been the same since, like, 1976. So everybody knows what they're getting into going into it. And, uh, I mean, this dude, was a, he was a nobody. I mean, nobody's ever heard of him. <laughs> he really was just some kid with an airsoft gun that set up some little, you know, bullshit paper plates or whatever in his, uh, you know, his room and practiced it and got the money together, flew over, trained for 30 days and won. Uh, beat uh, KC Asibio by like a second and a half that year. And I mean, KC is a, you know, world class. He's been a world champion in multiple other disciplines. It, it's not like all the the good guys sat out that year. I mean, he actually, he, he legitimately won <laughs> with yeah. almost no real gun experience. And what I find so compelling about that is uh, you you have said that there are genuine uh, connections between somebody's skill with that type of shooting and milsim, close yeah. quarters battle like practice, Without and the real thing. And I'm fascinated by the idea that someone in Japan with the gun control laws uh, right. and, and, and you know, the, the sort of law enforcement up your assness that, that is right. over there was able to become like world-class lethal. Oh, and, and the biggest challenge that I see in preparing for like a civil breakdown scenario is you have to get ready before things pop off. Right. But you cannot be early to the party. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right? right. It's like super important that you don't show up early. And right. so 
have you thought about ways, do you, do you have ideas for ways that people can prepare that don't put a target on your back in the same way that like airsoft training would? Sure. Uh, well, and, and actually the airsoft one is crazy. People look at me like I'm nuts when I say that. And, and a lot of people came back after they read Concrete Jungle where I mentioned it. And they're like, that is preposterous. And, uh, you know, and people make fun of airsim, or airsoft guys and milsim guys all the time. Like they're a bunch of, you know, fucking nerds that don't know anything. And uh, honestly, for the most part, those dudes are probably more lethal than your guy that has a safe full of guns and, uh, you know, goes to the range once a week and blasts some pop cans or some nonsense. They're actually also out there doing like, you know, it's it's nerfed a little bit, but like tactical stuff. I mean, they're running around in the woods. They're actually trying to shoot at each other, all this kind of stuff. Uh, so, man, that one is huge. It's absolutely massive, uh, especially in this day and age, too. It keeps the cost down so much. When I think about how I got good with a pistol, uh, particularly, you know, I had literally like a dump truck load of government ammo that showed up anytime I wanted it. And uh, honestly, the way that I got really good was later in my career because I was on instructor duty and I could just have no responsibility and do whatever I wanted. I would stay after work and shoot for like four hours every day. Free bullets. I mean, why wouldn't you? I actually wore out a Glock... (laughs) It's crazy. Actually wore out a Glock 34. I gave it back to Glock. I was like, I think this one's broken. And they were like, oh my God, like we've never seen one pushed this far. Cause like that, like the, the no-go gauge would almost fall at the end of the barrel. It was insane. But, uh, you know, barring that, barring being in one of those unique positions where you have unlimited dollars for this, man, Airsoft is great, dude. You gotta, I mean, it's, it's so cheap and so available and you could do it right there in your, uh, your house right now. Uh, that's a really, that's one that man is really underappreciated. Then the other stuff, man, for keeping it off your back, that's, it gets a little bit more complex. You know, it depends really on what you're looking to do. You know, if we're talking about, you know, food storage, I mean, that's super easy. You just buy some extra and start stashing that stuff away. A lot of the other stuff, a lot of like kind of the esoteric stuff, that's where you got to, there's, there's ways to do it. I didn't cover it as much in any of my books. I did cover it a little bit in uh I think Prairie Fire, actually, talking about intelligence networking stuff. Uh, that's one that you can practice on your own, too. And uh, basically, anything that would make you a good salesman will also make you a good intelligence operative. So reading up on some of the uh, you know the better books for uh, salesmanship, and especially the way... You ever been on like a, a natural salesman in your life, a guy that was just good at it? Sure. That dude will know things about you in a two minute conversation where you didn't feel like you gave up anything that you wouldn't tell, you know, your priest in a lot of cases, they just had this natural kind of flowing way of of dragging that stuff out and remembering it. And I mean, that's important too. That's a valuable skill set too. So, you know, honestly, just getting out there and being a little bit social, uh, you know, looking at cars or some other bullshit that you don't really want to do that you're not actually going to buy. That's even a way to, to pick up on what they're doing. Uh, as long as you're you know, smart enough to leave your wallet at home so you don't have to commit to it. <laughs> when you, you, know, you could go into a, any type of, of sales pressure place uh, and make us something up before you go. Like your name's going to be John Smith now and you have some bullshit email address. That actually gives you practice uh, lying as well, which is an important skill set to have. We're being perfectly yeah, honest. For sure. Um, I, I, I was thinking, so uh, one of the projects that we're, working on at the group is a, is a scouting program for boys. Oh, cool. Righteous. And, um, 
Yeah, I, we're, we're basically looking at the 1911 handbook and being nice. like, all right, clearly we took a wrong turn at Albuquerque. What went wrong? How do we like, how do we bring this back and also update it? And, and um, one of the things that occurred to me is that you could prepare boys to like one of the, cha- one of the, one of the, I, I think directions that Boy Scouts went wrong is it's lots and lots and lots of little merit badges that don't really add up to much. Yeah. Um, but if you could, if you could create like your, your basic scout has to be the, the, uh, he has to be able to sit in the junior slot of the ODA. He has to be able yep. to assist the senior on all of the different things. And then your, your like finisher, your, the way you finalize is you, is you get the skill set in one lane to become the senior. So you, you go get EMS training or you right. go get you know, you, some kind of engineering credential or comms well, credential. Well, this is actually going to crack you up. Do you know why the Boy Scouts uh, were founded and why that original manual came out the way that it came out? Tell me. That was actually specifically to make a future generation of soldiers. Uh, that was the idea. That was the idea as you grow these. Yeah, they were concerned that people were already getting too soft for urbanization. So they founded the Scouts with the idea that this was kind of a military preparatory course uh, to the point that, man, at least up until like 10 years ago, if you were an Eagle Scout, uh, you got instantly promoted uh, three ranks when you joined either the Marine Corps or the Army. Uh, wow. you, already knew, you already knew all the shit. And it's really fucking crazy, especially if you look at the older manuals. Take one of those, take the, like the, the patrolling manual from the Boy Scouts and overlay it next to the patrolling manual for, uh, let's say, the Marine Corps 6-5 or the Army's Ranger Handbook. Look at the positions and the way that they walk. It's exactly the same. The only thing that's mm. a little bit different is your uh, duties and responsibilities of you know, like now you're carrying a machine gun instead of, uh, you know, the tent or some bullshit. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's what it was built for. Yeah. And I, I, I think um, one of the issues that we've had as we've, as we've worked on it is like this question of liability. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the ways that you can handle that, right, is you can just, you can just make it a book. Like there's no organization. This is just right. a book. And right. you and your dad... And your friends can go learn some things. No, that's great. Um, yeah. And one of the things that I've thought about is like, uh, basically, the same thing with the airsoft thing. How do you how do you train kids in a way that won't get them in trouble, won't get you in trouble, won't get anybody hurt? Right. And um, I thought about getting a little cheeky with it, like uh, like pen testing. Like this is career training. We're going to help you become a penetration tester. So here's how you smash a lock and here's how you, you yeah. know, <laughs> break into a computer. Yeah. Here's how you social engineer, get somebody's password off of them. You yeah. know? <laughs> no, no, no. Dude, it makes total sense. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I had a couple of people actually ask me after I said that stuff too about the airsoft. Like, oh, I'm going to get my kids some, uh, some airsoft guns and, uh, you know, they're going to be toys. I'm like, no, 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 they're, they're never toys, but you should get them some. And, and just have them treat them like they're a real gun, like their whole life. Uh, but yeah, no, it's a great way. And with you know, very, very marginal chance of, uh, of injury, you, know, you put some safety glasses on and it's basically nothing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, man, that shit's all great. And like you're saying there too, decentralized organization is huge. It's, it's pretty much what all of us have to face down these days. Because, uh, you know, one or two things, either, like you said, liability or uh, or Rico statue. If you start trying to grow an organization, that's what they right. always come after us with. Uh, yeah, and you, I mean we've seen this. Like every organization that's popped up, that's uh, even a little bit right, it always somehow, some way gets its PP spanked 
by uh, by Rico statute. I mean, just I think today those two uh, <laughs> was it Oath Keepers or some bullshit they they got convicted uh, for the January sixth shit, and they got convicted of conspiracy. That was uh, a big one. Yeah, that's not good. Right. So I, I think there's just something that we have to we have to accept for for our lot in life now was anything that we're going to do has to be decentralized. And honestly, with the way things are, are sliding, that's that's probably better anyway. You know, we think about this, you know, I got buddies that uh, or you know, dudes that I talk to that are like New York State right now. I can help them digitally, but when the balloon actually goes up, they might as well not exist. All right. Nothing right. outside of nothing outside of the five miles around me matters anymore. No human, no, no nothing. Absolutely. And I, I guess, you know, one way you can get around that if you're in a my, my, my sort of goal with my because I've got this group that's spread out all over the country. Yep. But even now, there's probably three or four clusters where the guys are within 20 minutes of each other. Oh, that's awesome. That's fantastic. And and that's the goal is to get the thing big enough so that the, the, the water line is such that you've got, you know, your yeah. dozen guys in each city. Right. And and not, to, you know, uh, there's no organization. It's just like. I want you to have guys that you that you like and 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 trust and can count on in your in right. your neighborhood, you know, primarily so that you'll have a good homeschool co-op or oh, so that shit. you'll have a good yeah. barbecue. You know what right. I mean? Um, but also, if you learn some things that be valuable in an emergency situation, that's good too. No, dude, one hundred percent with it. I mean, that's a great way to uh, to look at it, and uh, that that's one thing that's. I mean, that's probably the hardest step for uh for people to take in the real world is is accepting that balkanization thing and accepting yeah. that like we need to find our dudes and like live like close to them is uh if if things do get really bad you might be living in that dude's woodshed like just how this shit works uh <laughs> you know i mean it's it's crazy people think about this like it's preposterous but we saw it I mean, we've seen it in recent memory i mean that's basically how iraq went down uh, as soon as like the central government was destroyed uh as soon as started you know torturing killing shias and vice versa and it didn't take very long before they just separated neighborhoods uh lebanon their civil right. war was the same thing uh all the bullshit in the balkans in the 90s it was the same thing you know carts going this way and this way full of everybody's shit like you know we'll pass each other on the road once and that's it yeah. Do, do you think that I, I wanted to ask you that you mentioned a few times that our situation is probably more like the Balkans than it is like 1861. And I, I think the nature of technology is such that that uh, we're making friends all over the world. And we're also having to like smell the shit of people we hate who live right next door. <laughs> right, and, right. and we're like... We're, it's it, like the, the dream of the internet in the nineties was like, Oh, I'll make friends in Turkmenistan and then we won't go to war with Turkmenistan and we'll right. all get along. And it's like, that did happen. Right. And also we realized how much we freaking hate people in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so I, I'm interested in your take on like, what can we learn from situations like that? Like the Balkans, like Iraq, that, that we could use to strengthen our position and, and sort of be prepared for that eventuality. Now, this gets into a, a little bit of a, of a slippery slope as far as like trying to predict the future, because obviously nobody knows. Like, you know, I, I try to read the tea leaves, but I don't really know either. But uh, I, I think one thing that we can agree on is the empire is kind of crumbling uh, and it's not looking very good. 
And so when I when I look at the way things are right now, the, the reason I say that I don't see an 1860 type event. I mean, you have to when you really look at the roots of 1860. That was, uh, you know, honestly, that was the rich people uh, that lived in the South versus the rich people that lived in the North using the poor people as pawns. Uh, it's not like you know a poor farmer in South Carolina had slaves in 1860. He couldn't afford it. Right. You know, that's just how it was. Uh, but they, you know, manipulated the states' rights issue and the pride in your region and all this other bullshit, uh, and basically got those poor people to go to war for them and die in droves. I, I just don't see this time something uh, like a like an equal faction. Uh, we, I mean, we obviously see the lefty, crazy, whatever communist fucking revolution that has taken over like the government part. Right. I, I just don't see like a counterweight that's like an organized, <laughs> equal no. size thing that can that can end up that will end up fighting it. I just don't see it happening. No, Republicans. I, <laughs> I see. I see Republicans oh, as basically as basically the equivalent of like Indian agents. Oh, like their job is to <laughs> their job is just to keep us on the reservation. Right. Right. You know, right. sell us sell us as much liquor as possible. Right. And smallpox blankets and shit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, dude. I mean, that's a fucking greater now. I, I mean, I see them as the Washington Generals too as a political movement. I don't even think they're fucking trying anymore. Uh, right. But that's not. But that's not really the point. To me, the point is more. No matter what, though, this is already on the glide path to like complete fucking chaos. Uh, whether that's mm. you know just people stop listening and stop obeying the rules, you know, whatever. And I think honestly, that's more likely anyway than some you know crazy march on Washington bullshit. I think that's a fucking pipe dream. So that's kind of how sure. I, I that's kind of how I see it. I see things just slowly falling apart, and then you'll have some regional players that are like, you know, okay, fuck it, uh, Kansas doesn't pay federal taxes anymore, and then neither do the counties in Missouri that are next to them. You know what I mean? It's just these these little right. regionalized uh, regionalized conflicts. I, I see that as just so much more likely and so much more uh, predictable for where we are right now. Yeah. So like uh, when we. Uh, one one of the guys that I interviewed was a, a, a Green Beret who who mentioned uh, the people who the people who were successful in in relative terms. You know, it, it wasn't great for anybody in the Balkans, but like right. um, successful in relative terms in that was people who knew how to get things, yeah, and people who knew how to break legs and and protect things. That's also important. That's also an important. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in your take on like uh, so for 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 me. I, I'm not going to be a leg breaker, I think in this lifetime, um, you know, we all grow up dreaming and, and some of us do it and some of us don't. And, um, <laughs> nor, nor do I think that I'm going to be like a mechanic or a farmer. I've always been kind of a talker mm-hmm. and, uh, I, I'm interested in, you know, you, you mentioned in the book that like, you've got your 18F, who's your, 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 um, intelligence person whose job it is to know people and, and know what's going on and know things. And, yeah. Yeah, and, and and know how to get things and 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 have relationships. And what would you see as like the the top, let's say five people to know in my five mile radius to be oh. uh, to to be prepared? Oh man, okay. Uh, like one. aside from my ODA, aside yeah. from my like buddies, yeah. like my contacts, my informants. Oh yeah, yeah. You talk about like uh, you know useful people. Okay, uh, number one is either uh, a surgeon, a doctor, or a veterinarian. It doesn't matter which one. Uh, if you don't already have that dude, uh, those 
I mean, honestly, in this day and age, I would even say that I believe veterinary school is more difficult than medical school. Like those dudes know their shit. Uh, and if I had to have somebody patch me up in a pinch, certainly better him than, uh, you know, my guy that read an EMT book one time. So, <laughs> you know, that guy, that guy is very important. Um, secondary. Man, I, I really lean towards it's, it's not like a definitive dude. But like for me, like I know one old cowboy here where I live that knows everybody. He knows everybody, everybody's fucking business, everybody's gossip. And that also undoubtedly means that he can get things. He already kind of is the fixer. Uh, and if things got spicy, so that dude exists for you somewhere. Uh, I don't know sure. who he is, but he's there. Uh, I'm going to have to say third, man, the, the, the local grocer, like if you live in a smaller area especially, that dude is important because not only does he know where stuff comes from and, and, and know where shit's, uh, you know, uh, coming, you know, maybe able to get some alternatives. That guy also knows logistics. All right. He understands, yeah. you know, feeding people in a, and uh, keeping shit straight and keeping things rotated. Uh, man, we've got, yeah. uh, we've got an agricultural co-op. Oh, that, nice. they, they know about feed. They know about, Hey, they like, you know, they're, okay. they're watching that stuff locally. Those are also guys that I would very much trust to be able to come up with like a, a, a viable plan when like just fees not coming anymore. Go fuck route. Mm-hmm. How are we going to keep some breeding stock around? What's our rotation schedule going to be? How many things do we need to kill off right now? Because we can't support obviously the shit that we've had in the past. Uh, yeah. So those dudes are way high on that list too. I see that's three. Mm. Yeah. Okay, uh, some kind of leg breaker, be it either the, uh, you know, like the, the the chief or a deputy or somebody that's fucking tough, or if not him, like the local fucking criminal that is, uh, provided he's not a complete <laughs> fucking scumbag. But if he is a complete fucking scumbag, he's somebody better familiar than... with law enforcement on yes, one, yes. Side or the... one side or the other. <laughs> and the flip side of that is if you already know who the kingpin is and uh, shit's looking real squirrely, you might not want to know him just because you're friends. You might want to know him because that's... Um, something that needs to get taken care of uh, day one. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a good note. Very interesting. Um, I, I, we've been talking a little bit about um, the elections and um, January 6th. And, and in, in Prairie Fire, you mention a really iffy election being one of the circumstances in which things might pop off. And I, I'm interested to hear, has your perspective changed as a result of 1-6? Did it basically go the way you thought? What, how has that colored your thinking since? It, okay, so it went pretty much exactly the way I thought up until January 6th. Uh, you know, when I was writing the book, like I made that prediction in like July, and I can actually remember the moment it happened. Uh, I'm pretty confident it was Pelosi came out on TV and was like, we might have to either mail this in or just skip this election. And I was like... <laughs> Like, like they hated, they hated old, uh, orange man so bad. There ain't no fucking way they were skipping an election. That was not going to happen. It <laughs> was not going to happen. And like four seconds after that, I had the epiphany. I'm like, oh, they're stealing this. Like, this is what right. they're doing. Like, this is happening. Uh, so how they stole it. I actually, man, this is how naive I am. I actually predicted just the old, you know, stuffing the ballots. I didn't know about this electronic shit. I was yeah. fucking shocked on election night when that started happening. Like, 
whoa, doggy. Uh, so they did. I was right. They stole it. But, man, they stole it way bigger than I would have ever imagined, bro. That was, I mean, that was stunning. That was absolutely yeah. fucking stunning. So then we were kind of on the, the glide path of like, oh, shit, here it goes. Because the book came out October 31st of that year. So I was like, ooh, here we go. I will say that I was I was kind of confident going into that, that if an election was sketchy, which it was, and definitely that fucking sketchy, I thought some governor somewhere would be like, nah, dog, not today. And I, I thought there was a very high likelihood of it starting like right then. And obviously I was wrong because all these governors are, are nutless wonders too. I mean, they're just, it turns out they're just parts of the machine. Right. So that, that actually has influenced uh, where I think that we're going now in a big way. Uh, number one, like uh, that was really what let me know that like the Republicans are, are in no way serious. I mean, they are, anybody that's elected right. now is controlled opposition. Uh, you know, Maybe you can have some bastions here and there of like maybe Florida, like maybe they're legit, but I doubt it. And it doesn't fucking matter. You could, if you control like five states, like it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, but that, that definitely changed my opinion about the machine anyway. Uh, I kind of thought people might wake up more this time too. Cause obviously they were going to fucking steal the 22 election. Like, why wouldn't they? They got away with it the first time. Why would they, why would they not do that? Right. And they did. They stole it exactly the same fucking way. Like all the little fucking vote bullshit. I mean, it's, it's the fucking carbon copy. Like it's the same thing. So that's actually kind of it's kind of shattered my illusion that the common man would ever wake up. Uh, I yeah. don't think they will. I think I think honestly, man, that our, our countrymen are just too fucking stupid to ever ever wake up to that fact. Well, I, I, it, there's like this huge there's this huge coordination problem that you have to overcome, which is like the first. 10,000 people who uh, who charge into the breach are going to get their shit wrecked. Yeah, They're, that's true. That is and, true. And, and, you know, nobody wants to be that person. And so, it, I, in my opinion, it has to be a situation where the immediate day-to-day -day is so unbearable. That, yeah. Like, right. I mean, right now, right now... Um, I can, I can, I can move away. Like I, my kids don't have to go to their schools and get their fucking right. nuts cut off. Right. And, and you know, like they, they haven't, they haven't pushed me into a situation where I, uh, where, where, where flipping the table over makes sense for me as an individual. And of course, if, if we yeah. could coordinate everybody and say, all right, today's the day we're all going to do it. Well, then it would be over immediately, but that's, that's a fantasy. Right. And, and so, I mean, one of the things that I'm looking to, and I'm interested to hear if, if you have other things that you look to like economic political movements that tell you that they're, they're sort of looking out for as, as signposts on where things are headed. Um, I'm looking at energy prices for the Europeans, like, at, at what point do they actually start not having enough to eat and not being able to stay warm? And what does that do for their feelings about the Great Replacement, about the EU and how unelected those people are and, mm -hmm. and all the money that's going to this war? Like, I, I, think, I think once you, once you hit people in like these material factors, that's when the math potentially changes. It does start to matter a hell of a lot more. Uh, it really does. Uh, 
And I mean, honestly, look at Brazil too. Like I, I'm not following Brazil like super closely, but it looks like they're they're having less of this bullshit than we did. Uh, they, they might actually pop off down there, which is pretty crazy. But yeah. uh, but dude, I'm 100 with you. Like that's that's kind of how I feel about things now. Um, I, I believe honestly that our most the majority of our countrymen, let's say 70, 80 percent, are are so blinded by. I can just go to work and watch some fucking sports ball and still get sort of paid. And, uh, you know, yeah. it's all good that they would never ever do anything to change their situation. I mean, dude, you still got people calling for like lock Hillary up like seven years later. Like, come on, man. Like that's, that's, that's fucking ridiculous. Like it's not, it's not, come on, you know? Yeah. So I'm with you, but now you start hurting people's feelings though, with money and, uh, and gas prices and, I honestly think too that we're on like an unstoppable glide slope of economic collapse. Like the stuff is 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 fucked up. Uh, I'm I'm no economist major either, but when I look at what's happening to like gas prices, food prices, uh, the the known inflation, stock prices, I'm like, ooh, this is bad. This is real fucking bad. Right. And there's almost nothing you can do to turn that around once it gets here. I mean, we already, I mean, we printed money to, to bail ourselves out of 2008. That trick only works once. I don't think we can do it again. So, I mean, I think we're on a, a, a glide path here for some real bad stuff. And once people get hungry and cold and uh, yeah, it's, they start getting a lot more uh, likely to build guillotines, if you will. <laughs> yeah. And I, I basically see, I, I see, my role as helping guys to get prepared in material economic ways that, that, you know, a, a, a more independent way of making a living where you're yeah. more in control of how you make your money. You're right. more in control of your social situation, who your kids are around, mm -hmm. um, in ways that like, you know, like we we're saying, don't, um, don't, trigger an immune response from right. the system. Yeah. Yeah. That would, yeah. Nobody wants the immune response right now. That is not, that is not a fun, <laughs> that's new. Right. And, and um, I, I, I wanted to, to get your take on, um, I, I detected some similarities uh, in terms of uh, your, 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 your focus in prairie fire and concrete jungle, your focus on, the, the people skills and the, and the connections and the networking, because basically, so I, I picked up uh, Mao Tetung's uh, guerrilla warfare. And what was fascinating about that is it's like, it's not, a, it's not a long book. It's a thin book, right. but like, it's right. like, it's like 80% um, go make friends. <laughs> right. And then like, and then like 20%, all right, you need this many rifles and this, this is how your squads right. are organized. Right. 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 And, um, and I, I wonder if that was, it was just very similar to what you wrote. And I wanted to yeah. see if you had like a, that was a deliberate connection. Well, uh, fuck yeah, it was. <laughs> One of the things that used to drive <laughs> me crazy about the prepper movement, and I'm talking about the old, you know, pre-COVID prepper movement, which I was, you know, kind of involved with too. Like I've always been on the fringes of that at the very least, was everybody was like getting some fucking guns and like a bunch of, like, no, dude, no, none of that shit matters. 
I, it was very deliberate, man. As I, you know, I am a Green Beret. I'm a, you know, guerrilla warfare master, whatever. They trained me to do that at like the, the master's course called uh, the Special Forces Qualification Course, which is uh, heavily influenced by Mao. Basically, the whole course is taken from, uh, you know, communist guerrillas, the successful ones, particularly uh, Mao, and then the, the uh, Ho Chi Minh after that and, and his guys. But yeah, I mean, that's a way of thinking. Uh, I mean, to the point the course is modeled close enough off that stuff that we call our instructors cadre members. Like, that's their name. That is their title. Uh, right. So yeah, all gorillas in the in the modern world have been heavily influenced by, you know, communist gorillas and Mao. And uh, they do have some very good points, man. They were they were very successful. Uh, and the only way to learn how to counteract that was to learn how to do it. Is I mean, basically, their kung fu is the best uh, at that stuff. Yeah. But yeah, that's... Dude, that's it, man. Make friends. Friends is so much bigger, so much more important than any equipment or any other bullshit. Those human relationships that you can count on. Uh, even just knowing somebody personally means that they're more likely to, to to help you and see you as an asset and somebody that's not going to, you know, stab them to death in their fucking sleep. So, yeah, man, the, the human connection piece, undoubtedly more important than anything else. Do, do you think that there are any lessons to be gleaned. I, I, I've heard I've heard different stories from veterans mm -hmm. about sort of the the level of respect that like that like our adversaries in Afghanistan deserve. And um, <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I wonder if you have thoughts on like are there lessons to be learned there? You know, any anything that we could take away from that experience, given that we may face the kind of surveillance and uh, sort of kinetic environment that they were facing. Uh, I think I can so sum that up. I think I can sum that up in one. Uh, they fucking won, didn't they? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. They did. And there's there's the objective was to get rid of the Taliban. The Taliban's control of Afghanistan right now. They fucking won. Uh and that's a bitter pill to swallow for a lot of guys, you know, for my generation, man. And I totally get it. Uh, it was not fun to come to that conclusion and, and face that reality. But that's uh you know, that's part of putting on your big girl panties, like, you know, we face the facts. And the fact is they fucking won. Uh, same thing with, uh, with Ho Chi Minh and the North Vietnamese. Like, you can look at all the stats, like, we kicked the shit out of them in battles, we killed so many more people, and all this other shit. Well, they fucking won. Uh, so persistence goes a long ways, it turns out. Uh, the ability to take damage uh, goes a long ways. Just being able to outlast your opponent goes a long ways. Uh, so It's like the, like the Romans getting annihilated at Cani and then just raising another army. <laughs> Right. Yeah. We'll do this again. We'll do it again Tuesday. <laughs> so other than that, I mean, and hopefully not absorbing the kinds of losses that we inflicted on the games, because we did, we, we killed a shit ton of them. Yeah. Uh, I think the biggest thing to, to look at there is it, it goes again back to the, the type of conflict that I think is coming. And again, this would be different if like, I don't know, like the fucking Red Cheneys were landing on California and landing boats. Like, oh, okay, we know how to deal with that. Right. For, what, for what's happening to us and the way I see the empire just kind of collapsing and ceasing to exist, I think it's a lot more about avoiding conflict and uh, just mm. being able to survive. Now, you still got to be able to, to flex enough that, you know, the bandits or the local organized crime or the 
the local fucking warlord doesn't want to take all your shit. But if you could avoid getting in a firefight with those guys, like, that's better. That's much better. And uh, I don't know. We'll see what that plays out to later. But, you know, survive is step number one. So you're, you're, it sounds like you're very much anticipating, like, essentially just the, the escalation of criminality. That's, yes, man. Even if this were to go to a shooting war, like, you'll see the escalation of criminality first. And I, I, like I said, I don't see this being like a blue and gray conflict. So I honestly see even at the later stages of collapse, it'll just be like more organized crime. It'll be like, you know, 30 man squads of criminals instead of three man squads. But it's essentially the same thing. And I, I mean, that's not unlike, you know, tribal warfare, the, the planet over. And for all of human history, besides, you know, some organized armies that we grew once in a while, like the Romans or the Greeks, uh, a lot of it could just be comparable to organized crime. I mean, well, there's almost an optimism to that relative to being up against uh, somebody who can see you from orbit and and send a little drone to, you know, blow you up before you've heard anything or seen them. Like, if if I had to face one, you know, I'd rather face the local, you know, psychopath. Right. Right. I mean, me too. No question. So without getting overly optimistic, that is... That's what I see happening more. If it turns the other way, man, that's a different bag of worms. But, I mean, basically, then you're having to switch glide paths completely. You're going to have to say instead, like, I don't know, like five states elect, like, real governors. And they're like, fuck it. We don't recognize the 2026 election or whatever. And yeah. uh, come get us. In which case, you have, like, the classic, you know, blue on gray fight to an extent. Uh I still don't think that goes the way that people think it does. Uh, obviously not great, you know, getting shot at by F-15s and drones and shit like that. But you yeah. also can't just, you know, carpet bomb Houston. Right, right. right. I mean, like, like, you really can't. Like, I mean, you can, but it's not going to help. Are, so, are you familiar? Sorry, no, go ahead. Go, go finish, ahead. finish your thought. Well, I say, you know, I, so I just don't, I, if anything, I see them, the big them, having to adopt <laughs> kind of an anti-guerrilla strategy for that scenario as well. Uh, not a lot of set-piece battles because nobody's kind of dumb enough to face off against, uh, you know, our technology. And, uh, you know, then that just bleeds us so dry. I mean, people ask about which way would the military go. Man, probably like 50-50, we're being honest. Like, it would depend, yeah. on, it would depend on the specifics of the break, but you could easily see that going 50-50. And then you're, you know... You know, you're right back at square one. Like we have some drones too. Yeah. No, I've been, I've been, I've been deep enough with enough of those goobers to know that they're not all, they're not all on side, um, <laughs> for sure. Are, are you are you familiar with um, Are you familiar with Out of the Mountains by David Kilcullen? No, I'm not. So he's got this. He's got this theory. This is another book that my wife bought me. And then I went and talked to a bunch of pros and they were like, yeah, your wife's got great taste. It's a great book. So um, she, she just knows apparently. Um, but basically his thesis is that like the the expansion of communications and surveillance technology is making it so that the classic Maoist agrarian insurgency is a lot harder to prosecute just because it's just harder to hide in the hills than it used to be. Okay. And 
and his his thesis is basically that it's going to be the urban littoral where instead of hiding in isolation you're going to hide in the noise and the capital of a big city because like you were saying they can't carpet bomb Houston right and um I wonder, you know, when you wrote when you wrote Concrete Jungle, yep. you talked about a lot of the problems with like a uh, a catastrophic yes. breakdown. In which, ca- like, you're basically like, if I'm, you know, you tell me if I'm yep. uh, misstating, but but basically, like, if it goes bad, then your objective is just to get out of the city. Like, you're not gonna. And I and I wonder if you have thoughts on like on like kind of an intermediate. Uh, decline situation where you it, yes. it, it does still make sense to stay and like how you would manage that. Uh, yes. And in fact, that's it's, it's briefly covered, but it's, it is in there. Uh, I did kind of think about that as well. Really, the only way, in my opinion, to stay there, even with advanced criminality, and this will just happen anyway, is uh, is again, the balkanization by, by like neighborhoods. Uh, I mean, kind of South face- African... Yes. Broken glass and razor yes. wire. Hundred fucking percent, man. I mean, we we've faced kind of like nothing like this, but you can look at uh, inner cities, uh, especially like uh, Harlem or uh, Compton, that are controlled by certain gangs in the neighborhoods around that. They already kind of have that. Uh, you don't live in the middle of uh, I forget which gang they are. Uh, you don't live in the middle of, of Compton though and be Crips. Uh, you can live in the middle of Compton and be Bloods, can't be Crips. So it's already kind of sorted right. itself out. Uh, so, I mean, that's not an un, that's not an unfair model for what I would see us turning into if we stayed in the cities. Uh, you kind of have to. I mean, you have to have that entire neighborhood on watch and like little kids are playing in the street. But they're also keeping an eye out for not only like the state, but, you know, enemy dudes because they know what their fucking cars look like. Uh, and just kind of living in those kind of like fortified little, you know, small block areas for lack of a better word uh, it's it's hard to imagine like picking up and moving across the city but if things get bad enough people will uh that's just that's just how it fucking works like they'll they'll make it happen uh so that's kind of where i would see that going yeah um you mentioned that that basically your orientation toward your survival strategy should model to foreign internal defense if you think the government's the good guys and unconventional warfare if you think the government's the bad guys. And can you elaborate on what you meant by that and and, and how those approaches differ? <laughs> sure. Uh, they're actually exactly the same thing in reverse. because This is primary mission set for us as special forces guys. If, if our government likes their government, well, we'll go to a foreign internal defense. And if our government doesn't like their government and likes the rebels, then we'll go do you know unconventional warfare. Uh, so where it gets spicy for, you know, Joe citizen, which we all are now on the, on the street is how, okay. I, I pick my team and let's say that I'm, I'm pro, I'm pro government this time. Okay. That's a dangerous fucking spot for me to be in. Cause the way that I can actually help is, uh, is all the shit that you see from like Homeland security. Now, like, uh, you know, if you see it, say something reporting all this other bullshit, well, yeah. this is very unfortunate in conflicts like this, but if you get caught ratting, like somebody's going to come over and scoop your fucking eyeballs out with a spoon after they, you know, cut your children up with a hatchet. 
Right. And the same thing is true in reverse. Like if, uh, if you picked the, uh, the bad guy team or the rebel team or whatever, all right. And eventually you get caught. Well, those things are not off the table for a, a state actor either. They're pissed enough. So right. it's just kind of a really shitty situation. The best thing you can do, if at all possible, is uh, is remain neutral with your little war band and kind of see what happens. And, you know, people look at me like that's a bitch answer, but, man, it's the right answer. Like, like for the most part, like, you know, it's uh, – it's not maybe what they're going to make a, a, a painting of in a hundred years. Like fucking that guy stood at like, well, maybe he waited to see who it looked like was going to win. Uh, maybe he's <laughs> got to this one out, but it is the strongest survival strategy. If we're being perfectly honest, this, this uh, going back to this conflict avoidance thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think I, yeah, it, I honestly, um, well, maybe this is, this is another direction I can go with you. Um, my, one of my buddies had me go buy an IFAC. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, and um, uh, something first aid kit. Uh, uh, individual first aid kit. Individual, there it is. Individual yep. first aid kit to go on a plate carrier. Yep. And um, I open that thing up, and it's like it's just all blood shit. It's just how do I stop blood and how do I plug up holes and yep and um. Uh, like this was this was one of my like oh I'm not a leg breaker moments I was like yeah. I hate this I don't ever want to see this shit again <laughs> <laughs> dude fucking understandable man I fucking get it I fucking get it and uh, uh, you know is is there is there a way to uh, like is there any getting comfortable with that like how, how do you how do you sort of settle in your mind that you might need to use these things and, 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 and learn on them. That is a tough one. And a very good question. Actually, this is honestly the same as what it takes to get comfortable killing other human beings. Uh, and this is an important thing for people to, uh, to ask themselves and to, to figure out, uh, that haven't done it. Uh, you know, the first thing is to dispel any notions of like, I don't know, the fucking Rambo fantasy bullshit or on the medical side, the, uh, you know, I'm going to stick a little gauze on and it's going to be fine. Uh, the first step is to accept the hard reality that this fucking might be what I got to do. Uh, and that takes a minute to set in. And, uh, you know, once it does, you know, you think about the reasons that you would do that, uh, either the killing or the, uh, the, the repairing. Uh, mm. for me, that comes to like, I, I don't particularly care for medical stuff myself. Uh, you know, I, I'm not great at it, uh, but I do have some training at it and I've done it on the battlefield and shit before. Really when I got like serious about like my first aid kits at the house, uh, it was about my kids. I'm like, okay, well, you know, fucking when I thought COVID was still gonna be like the end of the world or some bullshit. Like if, if there's no doctors, I, my kid falls and fucking stabs himself in the chest with some rebar. Uh, am I going to fix that or am I going to let him die? And the right. answer is I'm going to fix that. So, you know, that's how I like mentally rehearsed, like, okay, man, I know how to do this shit. This is how you cut off fucking rebar with a hacksaw. This is how you, uh, pull something out. If you have to, if you don't have a choice, right. uh, and this is how you crack a rib cage and get in there and see a lot of blood vessels and hope for the best. Uh, it's uncomfortable though. And it should be, uh, you know, these are not things that 
if unless that's our profession that we normally have to worry about. But that's the thing. You do have to worry about them. And uh, so getting yourself in that headspace of I'm going to have to fucking do this. So I need to get comfortable with it now. And I just really think about the steps to do it. That that is actually important. Uh, And the same thing with the uh, with the killing piece, uh, because that. Even in advance or maybe especially in an advanced criminology or advanced criminology scenario, it's going to have to happen. Uh, and you, yeah. you have to get comfortable with that before you need to do it. Do you think, uh, I, I wonder if uh, hunting and, and dressing an animal helps I think to kind of yeah. get no, I think it's the practical material? I know. I think it's absolutely fantastic. When I think about something like this, like, uh, fucking make sure my wife's not in here. I, my wife doesn't like to touch raw meat. All right. She yeah. just doesn't like to. Like, like if somebody has to cut up meat, it's going to be me. She'll cook it and all that shit, but she doesn't like to touch it. All right, that is mm-hmm. fucking preposterous for a hundred years ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, it is like those women would be like fucking ripping feathers. You know, sure. But that's not talking shit on her though. It's talking about how how far we've fallen from our natural state. Uh, yeah. So yeah, man, I think that those things do help. Uh, in fact, as far if I'm being honest, for men to get comfortable with the idea of both dressing wounds and killing other people the two probably best things you could do is hunting and some kind of uh, like martial art that actually involves fighting, like jujitsu, boxing, kickboxing, MMA, some shit like that. The, the interpersonal conflict part. Yeah. Um, the, the deliberate infliction of pain. Yes. Yes. Even if it's, you know, you're, you're, you're strictly non-lethal and you're doing it to somebody who's, who's maybe your buddy, but, but uh Right. That's a, that's a, I mean, even that just a, a barrier to, to, to strike someone with the intent, intent of ringing their bell real good. That's yeah. uh, a lot of people do not have that experience. They do not. They absolutely do not. And uh, especially the, like the kind of softer our, our world gets. And those are things that you want to know how to do before you need to know how to do them. So, you know, again, it is, it is, I can see where it would be very uncomfortable to, to have to learn, especially like later in life but it's a very important thing to do. Absolutely. Going back to the subject of children, I I have this theory that uh basically just 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 having kids uh awakens a lot of a lot of things in you that like you kind of they sort of complete you. They tie off some loops. Yep. And 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 one of the respects in which having kids does that is it is it forces you to take things seriously that you otherwise wouldn't as a single person because oh, you just because yeah. you, your 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 heart exists outside your chest. Um, Dude, if I didn't have kids, I wouldn't even give a shit about the collapse of the Western world. Right. You know. Right. Who fucking cares? Like, can I still get you know hookers and coke and some whiskey for the next twenty years? Then fuck it, I don't care. Yeah, uh, you could probably find a, an island in in Indonesia to hide that out and be yeah. fine. Right. Yeah. Without a problem. It's, it's a lot different when you think about your children and your future. Uh, it does. You're you right. It think about something else in you. Yeah. Who are they going to marry? How are they going to, and I mean, so just to, um, not to, not to plug, but like, that's what exit is. Exit is about building infrastructure so that we can have grandchildren. And, Which is um, very, very important. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I thought it was really interesting that you mentioned about the, the medical training. I hadn't thought about it that way, but yep. like, 
Absolutely. Like that, that is how I would overcome it is I would yes. go, I need this for my kids and I would just gut it out. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's, I mean, just being able to visualize that before you need to do it and think about it in those terms will make everything about it a lot more serious. So they make your training for it a lot serious, more serious. And it also kind of, you know, preps your mind to be able to do it should in the God unfortunate instance that you have to. Sure. Even, even fitness. Um, my, the primary reason that I, that I am trying to stay in shape, I'm 35. Mm-hmm. Primary reason I'm trying to stay in shape is so that my kids can be strong, but I can still take them out if I have to. <laughs> because I think, I think there's this hugely important uh, stage of adolescence where um, your dad should still be an authoritative presence in your life. Yes. But you're also going to be inclined to uh, test that, that yeah. dominance hierarchy. Yeah. And, no, um, dude, yeah. And I, and I think it's really, I, I've known guys who were like, yeah, I could kick my dad's shit in. And it's not healthy, in my opinion. Right. No, in most fuck cases. no. That's very, that's very unhealthy. <laughs> See, I'm going to have this problem, too, because I didn't have kids until I was 36. So, uh, you know, I'm going to be mm, the old dad. It's a harder curve. Yeah, it's a harder yeah. curve, though. So I got I to gotta <laughs> come with it. And I told my wife, if I had girls, I would just already be on steroids, like all of them. Just like... <laughs> <laughs> but I have boys, so I only had to, you know, scare them. So that's a little different. Yeah. I, I totally believe in that Mel Gibson trajectory. You know, oh, you, yeah. once you're, once you're like 60 some, go ahead, get on the gear. Go ahead yeah, and get ripped. Fuck it. Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Why not? Right. <laughs> he looks great, man. He looks fantastic. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, I wanted to give you a, a minute to tell us about Wrath of the Wendigo. I, I, I haven't ordered it yet. I'm going to order it as soon as we get off the phone. But um, uh, it sounds like it's covering a lot of the same themes as the stuff that you've written, but it's a fictionalized account. And I wanted to just hear if you've got like a, a summary. Yeah. So, uh, so it was uh, super important to switch back to fiction instead of real things. Head nod, everybody. Head nod. Uh, because... <laughs> it, there are definitely things that you cannot write about uh, from a serious perspective without getting a talking to. But sure. if you live in a fantasy world like Star Wars, right. like you can write right. about rebellions and how they might kick off and how they could start and possibly successfully win against yeah, the as a, Empire. As I understand it, Wrath of the Wendigo takes place in the Roblox universe. Yes, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. So in the uh, United Roblox of uh, North Roblockistan, uh, there's some dudes. They're like, you know what? Uh, fuck it. Maybe I just don't want to uh, live under this Roblox regime anymore. And so they, they carefully craft a plan over a couple of years and uh, recruit some other uh, Minecraft dudes and basically start a low-grade insurgency that I shears them off a piece of, uh, of that Republic. And that's how they fight for it and win it and continue to fight against the, uh, the dark Roblox empire. Right. <laughs> as I, as I understand it, it, it includes some elements of like Norse myth and Amerindian myth. Can you tell us a little bit about yeah. like, sort of your inspiration there? What you find fascinating about that? Well, that was actually the fucking crazy part about this. Uh, a lot of people have asked me like, 
was this all marketing hype or did you really have a fucking vision? And the fact is I really did have a vision. Uh, that part's not bullshit. Uh, and that was the way that it came to me was this kind of uh, blending of, uh, of, of Germanic barbarian, particularly with uh, some North American uh, Indian uh, mythology. And that was kind of like the new religion that these guys awakened uh, as they were breaking away from Roblakistan. Uh, it basically reached back into their, their primal roots with, uh, you know, uh, and, and kind of like reevaluated their spiritual world first. Very cool. Is that, is that, is that a topic of interest for you? A topic of study? Here's the fucking crazy thing before this, it wasn't, uh, I didn't know a lot of these things. It's actually been very weird since the book came out is that, yeah, I got some very smart, like super educated friends and shit. And, uh, so there'll be like elements in the book. They'll call it like, Oh man, uh, I also enjoy like the, uh, let's say for instance, like the, uh, you know, Siberian shamanistic thing of this and this, and this is what he meant. And I'm like, I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about, man. That was just how it came out. And they're like, Oh, well that's weird. Cause that's exactly what, you know, whatever is that said, you know, 150 years ago, I'm like, Oh, that actually disturbs me more. <laughs> it actually disturbs me. way. Yeah. Far. That's, that's wild. <laughs> Well, uh, if if uh, if you want something like for for the kiddos, I, I can definitely recommend um, Dolaire's Norse Gods and Giants. Oh, it's this really beautifully illustrated uh, story of all the Norse myths. Say the name of it. And uh, it's Dol D A U L A I R E S. Dolaire's Norse Gods and Giants. Oh yeah, and. All right. um, that basically, um, that was in my school library growing up, and I just uh, just uh, lit me up as a kid. And okay. um, righteous. And I think I think your kids would dig it too if if, if that's something that's interesting to you now. Yeah, definitely. Um, but uh, yeah, well, that's that's cool, man. Everybody, go out and uh, and and buy Wrath of the Wendigo today. That's that's uh, that's fascinating. Uh, I I, I want to ask also if there's um, what's on, what's on your reading list these days? What do you think? What's been, what's been fascinating to you? What are, what would you recommend people check out either in this domain or, or elsewhere? It's, uh, it's been kind of weird, uh, just because, uh, you know, basically I've, I've had an awakening to that kind of led me to believe at the same time I was writing Wendigo, man, so much of our history is so much bullshit. <laughs> like it's, uh, it's just made up fucking nonsense, right? which is, it's terrifying when you uh, when you get there. Uh, I'm going to definitely recommend uh, Chronicles of Pre-Celtic Europe. That one is fantastic. Uh, whether or not it's true, I I don't know, but it's a pretty plausible, pretty good theory and story. Uh, that one's great. Yeah. Somebody I'm said. Sure. Uh, somebody said journalism is the first draft of history. <laughs> <laughs> That's I awesome. go, bro. Look at these journalists. What does that tell you about history, man? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's exactly right. <laughs> so yeah, you, dude, you were gonna you were gonna say something else other than that man honestly i haven't read a whole bunch i've just been catching up i, I spent the whole summer writing this book so i've been kind of catching yeah. up on like my other tasks and stuff uh cool. but yeah that one's great cool. and uh other than that man spend some time getting ready for like for the serious boy shit because it's gonna get ugly yeah um ranger handbook is that is that a place to start 
yeah, Ranger Handbook is great, uh, especially if you get the pre-2012 edition. Yeah, basically the older you can get with those, the better off they are. But I think 2012 is when they made the like the definitive weirdo fucked up changes. Uh, what are they doing, like a Girl Scout Ranger Handbook? Man, I don't remember what they did, but they took a bunch of shit out, and uh, it was like not great what they what they came up with. Um, so yeah, so shit can any of the newer ones. Uh, yeah, other than that, man, I mean, War of the Flea, some of the classics of uh, of Gorilla stuff, uh, the Squad about the uh, the IRA, uh, that one's fantastic. Uh, okay, is it kind of kind of to me? You kind of kind of look at the flea, flea, like the like the insect. Yes. War of the Flea. Yeah. Okay, we were we were talking off the air a little bit about how the how the seriousness of the situation has motivated us and has motivated a lot of our friends to just clarify like what they're here on Earth to do and um, and the 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 tediousness and the soullessness of their day jobs. You know, it's it's one thing if everything's going to be okay, but if it's if it's really not, then right. it, it it forces and and should force some reflection on what am I actually good for in this world? Right. No, dude, hundred percent. And uh, here's the thing that I think is is terrifying. Like, I get it that sometimes we got to do some bullshit job to make money so we can do the other thing. Uh, we've all been there. We've all walked down that road before. It sucks whatever. I just feel like, man, we are on the cusp of like the worst economic disaster that anybody can fucking imagine uh, within like six months, if not within like two or three, it's going to be fucking horrible and awful with interest rates and all that other bullshit, the way they are like loans will be gone. Like the balkanization will mostly be over unless you have the cash on hand to buy property at the absolute rock bottom uh, right before hyperinflation takes off and our money's not worth shit. The only problem with waiting that long is you don't have any of the skills then. A lot of the dudes that I know that like really got scared about uh, around the COVID time, I, they started like doing like small scale regenerative, re, regenerative farming or uh, raising, you know, dairy cows or some bullshit like that, like two, three years ago. The advantage to that and to, to getting to your spot as soon as you possibly can is you get to make your mistakes while there's still a chance of recovery. You get to make your mistakes with the cows while they're still a vet. Or you get to make your mistakes with the sheep and they all fucking died because a coyote ate them and you fucked up when you can still buy a replacement. Right. Learning all that shit after the fact, after it's already at like, you know, the, the, the critical threshold, that's a, that's a lot more difficult. So man, dude, I'm big. As much as as much as you can, all right, you gotta get your spouse on board for this shit too. You know, make your move stat. Make it fucking happen real quick. Yeah, and and that's definitely a lane in which you can develop capacity that NSA doesn't give a shit. You right. know, FBI doesn't give a shit. Go right. grow potatoes. Right. And, Nobody and- fucking cares. <laughs> Right. And, and, and the beauty, like, and, you know, a lot of guys on Twitter will argue back and forth about like, oh, you know, you're, you're telling guys to like run away into the hills and, and when they could be like contesting the real, you know, power structures. And my take on that is if you can't eat, you're not contesting shit. And, no. and, and basically 
it's not about um, it's not about alternatives. The, the The analogy that I draw is is a, a labor strike. Like, oh yeah, if uh, if the factory workers go on strike, and you tell those guys like, oh, you're just running away from your from your power structure. In the, it's like, no, that's how I develop a power structure right. is by is by strategic retreat or tactical retreat. Right. And, and, and basically, yeah, I view, I, you know, you shouldn't, you should, if you, if you have the means to make a lot of money and to have a position of power, um, hang on to it, but also get squared away on this other stuff, figure out what it takes to, to buy land, what it takes to grow something. Uh, honestly, for me, the biggest advantage, like I have, I have, realized that like it would have to get real bad for like the best thing for me to do to, to be go go be a farmer not because being a farmer is not good but because i'm i suck at it and <laughs> and um and basically what i've concluded is like the value of me buying a dairy cow and buying chickens and trying to grow uh potatoes and strawberries and things is that I had to go to the co-op and ask a bunch of questions and people, you know, connect with, connect with the guy who runs the beef auction, connect with the guy who, uh, who knows how to build uh, an apiary or build a chicken tractor. And I mean, those are the guys, my, my insurance policy, in addition to like trying to figure it out myself, mm-hmm. my insurance policy is kind of, uh, that there's a bunch of old farmers around here who know me and know my kids and probably don't want us to starve. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> well, you know, think about this from a co-op perspective too. This is, uh, I live in, in town, so I've got like a little yard. Well, I've got, uh, my brother-in-law lives uh, 10 miles away. I was the land. So I contribute to the chicken feed and uh, the fucking <clears throat> vaccination for the goats. And that's my that's my deal. Like I make more money, so yeah. I'll feed I'll feed cash into this thing. Uh, he has more time. Like he fucking works on that shit. It it works out. It's a it's a benefit to both of us. And uh, finding those like small scale co ops like that with somebody that you can trust too, man, that shit has huge value. Yeah, um, we actually currently, while I'm trying to get my fence figured out, we've got our cattle pastured on somebody else's land, right. and so we pay them to take care of the cows. And, um, yeah, j- just having these, having these longstanding relationships, uh, is, is, is tremendous. Um, so yeah, that's, and, and, and the, the regenerative ag thing, I mean, part of the purpose of that is to make it less labor and input intensive. Right. right. So that it's something that you can conceivably, uh, ramp up to while you're doing other things. Right. Yeah, no, it's great. We, and yeah, we've got 10 acres. It's almost all forest. And um, we've looked at from a regenerative ag perspective, we've looked at like thinning out the woods with goats and, and, you know, having kind of the, the tiered, the, uh, the vertical farming and um, ways to ways to use it more effectively. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm terrible at all of it, but, but it's, but it's, it's actually, it's actually pretty cool to learn. And I also, one of the things that I've noticed with my kids and, and, and 
I think a big part of my challenge in my adolescence, and I, I think a lot of suburban kids can relate to this, is everything my parents asked me to do was basically like make work. It was gotcha. like it did not like the household would be fine if I did not exist. Gotcha. <laughs> you know gotcha. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, from a from a material perspective, obviously right. my parents love me and everything, yeah. but like, but like, I didn't need to be there uh, for gotcha. things to work out. Yes. And my boys, uh, they're little, but they go close the chicken coop up and collect the eggs every night. Yeah, fucking right. And if it doesn't happen, it's a problem. It's not a big right. problem, but it it's a problem. problem. And if and if uh, and if you know things were to get really bad, and like a substantial portion of our calories were those chickens, and the door were left open, that could be extremely bad. And so, right. to give my kids this responsibility, while they can still screw it up you know, without killing everybody. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And then, and then, you know, when, when things get hard, they're competent and they get to feel like, you know, I mean something to this family. And, yeah. and um, I, just, I, I think that's one of the things that has created this like shitty teenager archetype. <laughs> it's basically I, the I absence of that. See, I had never actually thought about that because I grew up with like, you know, donkeys and horses and shit like that on like a, like a little, like three acre thing. Uh, so it had never occurred yeah. to me to be like a, like a teenager would like make work stuff, but it makes a lot of fucking sense now that you say it. And uh, yeah, no, that makes a, that makes a lot of fucking sense man. It really does. Uh, I know that just from like a homeschool perspective too, one of the things that we've, we've talked about in our, our family though, is we want to get back to that, like spot where you're at for those chores and responsibilities that are like real. Cause yeah. I mean, now yeah. that I think about it, I've had my kids like, you know, wash the windows, like buy a toy or you know, some bullshit, but it was made up bullshit. Like it was, you know, it's, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot different. Cause if it, need, cause if it needed to happen, you wouldn't give it to them. Right. Exactly. Ex exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it makes a lot of fucking sense, man. There's a, uh, in my church, there was a leader in my church who, who came to visit, um, our, our congregation. And, uh, I don't know if you know, so I'm, I'm a Latter-day Saint. So we do the two-year missionary okay. yeah. experience, yep. suits and ties gotcha. and bikes. Yep. And I, I did that in 2006 to 2008. Oh, and gosh. one of the things that he, and that's basically like our rite of passage. That's, that's boy right. to man kind of, yep. um, not explicitly, but like girls, uh, you know, at least when I was growing up, girls would be like, I'm expecting to marry a guy who's done that. And if you haven't done right, that, he's already, you're not, he's already done his fucking mission. Yeah. You're yeah. not ready for me. Right. Um, and so it's, it's sort of this acid test of like, how are we doing? Right. How, how are the boys handling this experience? And yeah. it's, it's become really challenging for 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 young boys to 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 make it through uh I bet. that that experience and basically what this leader said was the only north american kids that are doing okay with this experience are farm kids yeah and we're running out of farm kids yes, <laughs> to be honest rapidly. like <laughs> and He's and I, right. I yeah and it's it's so much to do with uh being having a ramp into the adult world versus a cliff. Right. 
Yeah, so, dude, totally get it. I think man. it matters. Yeah, it matters no, tremendously. it's a huge difference, I think, too. Yeah, that's that's incredible though. I hadn't I hadn't heard that from that perspective, and that makes a lot of sense. You know, my my kind of equivalency there was uh, at one point, not too distant past, they had to incorporate a class into the special forces course called like how to have a conversation with a human being. Was, was, dude, I mean, this is like 2013 or 2014. Well, these fucking kids started showing up, man, that like couldn't do it. Like, like they'd grown up with so much like technology in their hands and this bullshit that like they like Fortnite really didn't. Navy SEALs. Yeah. Well, they just had no idea how to, how to, how to work, how to like talk to a person. It was crazy. But yeah, dude, it makes sense. That's yeah, wild, man. And it's wild. And and what are the what are the ramifications for readiness? Like, how could you possibly know? How could right. you possibly know what those kids are going to do? Right. You know, it's right. it, it's maybe they surprise you, but you know who knows? <laughs> right. Exactly, exactly. Man, that's crazy. Um, so what are so you're 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 basically um, subsidizing some some kind of farm activity. One of the things that my, um, my other green beret, uh, 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 buddy mentioned when we talked about this was, yeah, guys who have the connection between urban, like manufactured goods and distribution and money and all that. And then like, you know, the stuff that actually comes out of the ground and, and stuff that you need to eat, um, and timber and things, the people that are, that have a foot in both worlds uh, do a lot better. And it is is an advantage in some ways. Yes. Yeah. And I think, um, so I I think that's smart, but like in terms of your personal, you know, you're, are you doing like backyard farming? Are you, you're raising rabbits or something or what, what's, uh, what's that look like for you? No, part of the reason that I moved here where I'm, I'm living at right now, is uh, my family's been here since the land rush. I've got like thousands of cousins with real farms and ranches and shit like that. So I live in town uh, just because that was where I, I fell and it's what I could buy at the time. But uh, I'm not worried about that part because I've got a big circle around me that, that has that bit covered. Yeah, that's rolling deep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, that's basically a unique situation, uh, you know, for me. But yeah, I've got yeah. to create more some night vision goggles. So I'll make sure the cows stay safe. They grew the cows. We call it fair. Excellent, man. Hey, I really appreciate you taking this time. This was this was awesome. Uh, in, in, incredible info for the guys. Oh, dude, thanks for having me on. No, I enjoyed the hell out of it, man. This was great. So, yeah, again, if you want to support Clay and, and, and learn some good things, check out Concrete Jungle, Prairie Fire, Wrath of the Wendigo. Those are all available on Amazon. If you want to learn more about what we're doing, Check us out at exitgroup.us or follow us on Twitter at exit underscore org. Hey, Clay, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks, brother. I appreciate it.